Well, hey, like Pastor House said, my name is Matt Comiskey. Don't worry, you're not going to remember how to say my last name, and that's okay. But a uh, fun fact about me, I'm recently married. You can make some noise for that. And uh, so recently married, um, my beautiful wife, Stephanie, I think we got a pick up there. My God, come on, somebody. She's hot. And uh, so we're about 10 months in, so we're obviously professionals at this thing, and, uh, uh, but it's super fun. Anybody in here married? We got any married people in the room? A couple? Cool. Anybody want to be married? Hey, you can keep your hand up. You can keep your hand up for a couple seconds. Yeah. Look around. You got options. Cool. Cool. Some of you, that's the only reason you came tonight, right there. That's awesome. Well, uh, hey, we're in a new series called Interruptions, and uh, I love the title of that because here's the thing I know about following God is it's full of interruptions. Following Jesus is full of interruptions, and uh, I think interruptions gets a pretty bad rap, right? Like nobody really likes to be interrupted. Uh, me and my wife, we just bought a house not that long ago, a couple months ago, and we were having a party at our house, and uh, I quickly learned that my neighbors do not like Drake music at 11 p.m., and uh, so we were interrupted by a knock at our front door with a couple cops and some uh, noise complaint. And, uh, but anyways, interruptions aren't always that good. But here's the thing. I think we got to separate that stigma before we jump into this series because the interruptions that come from God are good. When God interrupts your life, it's not a bad thing. It's not the cop coming to kill the vibe of your life. It's a, it's a good thing when God comes to interrupt your life. I love this verse in Revelations chapter 3. It says this. It says, look at me. This is Jesus speaking. Look at me. I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear me call and open the door, I'll come right in and sit down to supper with you. Conquerors will sit alongside me at the head table. I don't know about you, but that's pretty good news that God wants to make you a conqueror. If he's interrupting your life, it's always to make you a conqueror over something. It's always to bring you to the head table, to bring you back to a place of purpose, bring you back to a place of honor. And it's always a good thing when he interrupts your life. And so uh, speaking on this, um, when you are interrupted in life, it causes you to make a decision, right? You're faced with a decision. A decision means you have to change. And change is never easy because change requires a little thing called boldness. It requires boldness to change, to step out of something that you've been living in for a long time and step into something different. And so I want to talk about boldness a little bit tonight. So if you're taking notes, you can write down the title of this talk. It's called this, Step Out to step in, step out, to step in. And if you got a Bible tonight, you can turn with me. If you got a Bible app on your phone, you can click with me over to Joshua chapter one. We're going to Old Testament. We're gonna hang out here for most of the time tonight. Joshua chapter one. I wanna read two verses, then we're gonna pray and jump right into this thing. So Joshua chapter one, verses one and two, it says this. It says, after the death of Moses, the Lord's servant, the Lord spoke to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' assistant. He said this, Moses, my servant, is dead. That's an interruption. Therefore, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into the land I'm giving them. We're going to unpack that, but first let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your presence in the room tonight. Lord, I pray that you would come and speak to us. Lord, I pray that not one person would leave this place the same way we came, myself included, but we leave changed with more boldness to follow after you and step out of the things you're calling us to step out of. And everybody said, amen, amen. Let me see a show of hands. How many of you guys would say you're a risk taker? We got any risk takers in the room? Wave at me. Okay, cool. 
Uh, I don't think I'm that type of person, naturally. Not really much of a risk taker. Don't really get the whole risk taker characteristic. Uh, kind of enjoy my life. Kind of enjoy being safe. <laughs> kind of enjoy that. I don't know. I just don't enjoy doing things that are dangerous simply because they're dangerous. <laughs> it's just kind of weird. I don't really get what's kind of wrong in people's head. But hey, you're cool. Thanks for being here tonight. But uh, anyway, so risk taker is not really much of a risk taker. But here's the thing. Here's the issue is I was raised the youngest of three boys. And uh, my dad is a retired Marine and like the biggest risk taker in the entire world you'll ever meet. And uh, I remember this one time I was about eight years old and my family went to this place called King's Dominion Amusement Park. Anybody ever been there by chance? Wow, somebody's been there. And uh, cool. And we were at King's Dominion Amusement Park and I was pretty salty because most of the day I was walking around with my mom. Like I said, I'm the youngest. And so there's this little thing about roller coasters is you have to be a certain height. And I wasn't tall enough to ride many of the rides. And so my dad and my brothers went and they were riding the roller coasters most of the day. And I knew my dad was this risk taker type person. And so I knew I could probably convince him to do something I really wanted to do. And that was to get on a roller coaster I wasn't tall enough for. Because I kind of was like, man, I don't really understand the whole height rule. I think it's just kind of to keep kids out from having fun. And so dad, if you can like hide me behind you, you and my brother, you're gonna stand, hide me behind you as soon as we get past that gate. I'll come on and get on the ride. And so here we are, we get to the front of the line, they're measuring people, and I'm standing behind my dad and my brother, and we get through, we make it through, and we get on the ride. And so here I am, I'm getting on the ride, and I remember having this conscious thought to myself as I pulled down the like hanging grip holder, whatever you call this thing, and I looked over at my dad on my right and my brother on my left, and I saw there was a ton of space between me and the resting bar, and their chests were up against it. I just remember thinking, I was like, that's kind of strange, but I guess it's cool, no wonder. And anyway, so I'm sitting here, I'm holding on to this ride. Ride starts going, I'm having a blast. It's super fun. And we get to the first corkscrew. And as you can see, this is the ride. It's called the Anaconda. And it has all these spirals, all these twists, and it's over this lake. And we get to the first corkscrew, and all of a sudden, I feel myself starting to slip out of the literal seat of this roller coaster. And thankfully, my dad and my brother are pretty big guys. They literally, my dad loops one arm around my armpit. My other brother loops his arm around my armpit. The entirety of the rest of the ride, I am hanging on for dear life to my dad's arm and my brother's arm. And here's the thing is like so many times in life, there's things that we're asked to do, there's rules we're asked to follow that make no sense when we're told them. And it's not until we really understand what the people who made those things understand that we see what they see, right? I'm not the one who designed the ride, and so I don't really understand the whole height thing until I was sitting in the seat and my chest is like three feet away from the bar. And then I'm like, oh, that's why you have the height thing, <laughs> And here's the thing is, we didn't design this life. We didn't design this human experience. And so oftentimes we have this Holy Spirit who tells us things to do and tells us steps to take. And it doesn't make much sense in the moment, but maybe, just maybe, we should just believe that where God is standing, He might see some things that we don't see. He might understand some things that we don't understand. And so that's where Joshua finds himself in the story tonight. But before we get back into that part of the story, I got to rewind and tell you some backstory because there's this guy named Moses. And uh, if you grew up in church, maybe you've heard of Moses. And if you're new to church, that's awesome because I'm going to talk about him. <laughs> so Moses was this guy in the Old Testament who God calls to lead the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And there's some cool stories that happen. Moses comes and he puts his staff up and the Red Sea parts and the people walk through this Red Sea. Red Sea falls, manna falls from heaven. It's awesome. Everything's going great and all. And then all of a sudden they get right up to the border, right up to the edge of this promised land. 
where God was leading them to. And all of a sudden, Moses hesitates. Moses gets super nervous. He's like, I haven't been here before. It's kind of like you've seen Lord of the Rings and Samwise Gamgee is like leaving the Shire for the first time. He's like, I take one more step. It's the furthest from home I'll ever be. It's the worst impression ever, but that's what he says. And so it's kind of like that, and he's getting really hesitant. He's like, I've never been here before. And this is like before Yelp. And so he couldn't just like go up on Yelp and be like, let me look this place up and see what reviews they have. Oh, George from Orlando gives it one star and says that the service is almost as bad as the food. Maybe we should try a different restaurant. And so what Moses has to do, he gets his plan together and he gets 12 people, 12 spies. He says, hey, I want you guys to go into this promised land. I want you to go and investigate the land, then come back and tell us what you see. So these 12 people go out, they investigate the land, they come back, and 10 of them go, this is impossible. (laughs) We cannot do this. There's giants in the land. There's no way we can go into this land. We should probably just turn around. We should probably just go back to Egypt. They're like, life was way easier in Egypt. It didn't cause us to do things we didn't know what was going to happen next. And I don't know about you, but easy can often be tempting, right? The easy way can always be tempting. And it's a scary place to be when slavery is easier than freedom. Scary place to be when bondage is easier than freedom. It's a scary place to be where feeling less than is actually easier than confident. What a sad place to be when it's actually way easier for me to hang my head and feel bad about myself rather than keep my head held high. How many times have you found yourself in this place where God is calling you into something you've never stepped into before and it sounds really good? A promised land flowing with milk and honey, that sounds great. I want to be there. But then you're kind of just a little bit confused and a little bit uncomfortable because you've never been in an area like that before. And there's some things in there, some giants in there that are pretty threatening. And you find yourself in this kind of bind. You find yourself in this place where in one hand, you're being pulled towards confidence in God, excitement about something new. But then in this other hand, you're being pulled back towards what you've always known. You're being pulled back towards what's comfortable and lulled towards that. And so what happens in this story, it's actually pretty sad because these people are like, can I get some water? These people are like, hey, we should turn back and go back to Egypt. And 10 people say that. And so what happens is the thing that they were meant to pass through, this wilderness, they actually end up living the rest of their days in. The thing that was only supposed to last for a season, they end up living their entire lives in. And I came here tonight, I want to encourage somebody, don't get comfortable in your wilderness. Don't get comfortable in your dysfunction. Psalms 23 says it a really cool way. It says this, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Emphasis on the words walk through. Oftentimes in my life, I've found I like to make my house in the valley of the shadow of death. Oftentimes I've found I make my house in something that I was actually, God was calling me to pass through, but because I had never taken those steps before, it was actually a lot scarier. And so I stay stuck in this place. And watch this, no sin, no fear, no toxic relationship, no thing that God is calling you to let go of is worth holding on to and staying in the wilderness. It's always way more worth it to step out and step into something new. 
So what happens is Moses and this whole generation of people die in the wilderness, except for two people. One guy's name is Caleb, and the other guy's name is Joshua. He's the guy we were talking about at the beginning. There's this guy named Joshua, son of Nun. And see, Joshua, when he came back, he said, actually, I think we can do it. He says, actually, I think we can take this promised land. Thank you so much. Sorry, guys. Can I drink for a second? Is that cool? He says, maybe we actually can do it. And then what happens next is where we're at in the story is we find Joshua being told by God, hey, you're up next. Hey, you're up next. And I actually want you to lead these people through the Jordan River into the promised land. Now, can you just kind of put yourself in Joshua's shoes for a second? This is a guy who, when he came back and he told everybody, we can do it, it wasn't met with, woo, yeah, that's so good, let's do it. It was met with people trying to kill him. They actually were like, let's stone this guy, let's kill this guy, he's ridiculous, he's gonna get us all hurt. Also, look at his name for a second, his name's Joshua, son of Nun. Pretty sure this guy was bullied growing up. Can you imagine your name is son of Nun? Who are you? Oh yeah, that's the nobody. <laughs> Who's his dad? Nun, nobody. What a loser. Right? Yet that's who God calls to be the leader of the people. And I don't know who this is for tonight, but I think there's somebody or some people even in the room tonight where you feel like God's calling you into a place of leadership. God's calling you to take some steps, but you're afraid because your whole life you've been called awful things. The whole life you've been looked down upon. But can I encourage you? The Bible says this, says that the stone that the builders rejected becomes the cornerstone. The thing that the world rejects, the thing that other people reject, the p- things that people have put on you, God actually says, hey, that's the cornerstone. What's the cornerstone? It's the foundational piece. It's a crucial piece. It's the leader. And that verse is speaking about Jesus, but you can actually make it for yourself tonight because here's what I believe is that you're a person who's been looked down on your whole life, been called awful names and awful things like that. That's actually the person that God seems to take a look at and says, you're actually who I want to use. You're actually the person I want to use. So here's Joshua. That's his story. That's who he is. And God says, hey, I'm calling you to be the person who's going to lead people through the Jordan River and into the promised land. Now, here's one big issue. Is at the time that God says this, it's a specific time of year. It's flood season. And so the Jordan River, which is normally actually a very easy thing to walk through, it's actually pretty typically shallow. He's now called to lead people through, and it's 200 feet deep. How in the world are you supposed to lead a group of people through 200 feet deep of racing, rushing, flooding river water? Seems pretty impossible. I don't know about you, but I've been in places before where God says, hey, I'm calling you to go through this thing. I'm calling you to take this step. But when you take a look at the situation and the circumstances of your life, it's like every sign points to this is the wrong time. Every sign points to, I am incapable, I am unqualified, and I am unequipped to do what you're calling me to do. Maybe we should just wait until the flood is gone. Maybe we should just wait until it's easy for me to walk through the river. Maybe we shouldn't try and do this at flood season. But yet God seems to always call us to take the next step when it seems impossible. God always seems to be the person. Why does Jesus say, hey, let's go to the other side of this lake to the disciples, knowing full well that a hurricane was coming. Maybe, just maybe, the reason that God calls us to take steps when it looks impossible because if it wasn't impossible, you wouldn't need God. Maybe, just maybe, if the situation all matched up perfectly and everything looked like it was going to work out and now I have confidence I could take this next step, maybe it wouldn't be a miracle. 
And maybe, just maybe, God wants to do miracles in your life. Maybe, just maybe, God wants to do impossible things in your life. And so he says to Joshua, he's like, hey, 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 I know it's flood season, but don't worry. I've given you this thing. Don't worry, I'm coming back. He says, I've given you this thing. I've given you this box. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. Look at this, Joshua chapter 3. Look at a couple verses here. Joshua chapter 3, verse 6 says, Joshua instructed the priests, take up the chest of the covenant and step out before the people. So they took it up and processed before the people. Go to a little bit down. We're going to jump into verse 13. Could we get that one? Boom, there it is. And that's what happened. The people left their tents to cross the Jordan and led by the priests carrying the chest of the covenant. When the priests got to the Jordan and their feet touched the water at the edge, the Jordan overflows its bank during harvest. There it is. The flow of water stopped. It piled up in a heap a long way off at Adam, which is near Zarethan, and the water went up dry all the way down to Arabah Sea, and the people crossed facing Jericho. And there they stood. Those priests carrying the chest of the covenant fir- stood firmly planted on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan, while all Israel crossed on dry ground. Finally, the whole nation was across the Jordan and not one wet foot. Here's that story. If that didn't make any sense to you, let me put it to you this way. God says, hey, I've given you this box. Now remember that everybody else who was following after Moses has died. So these are like the kids of the people who passed through the Red Sea. These are like the kids or maybe even the grandkids of the people who went through the Red Sea. These people weren't there when Moses parted the Red Sea. This is a new generation of people. But yet they still have this box, this chest of the covenant. Another translation says the Ark of the Covenant. And God says, hey, 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 don't worry. I know it's flood season and all. But I want you to get these people, these priests together, and they're going to carry this box. And when they get to the edge of the river, when they put their feet into 200 feet deep water, when they just touch their feet, all of a sudden I promise you that the waters are going to separate on two sides and they're going to walk through on dry ground. So what happens is these priests take this box. Now the box is actually 600 pounds. So this is a bad illustration, but bear with me. They take this box and they get to the river. All of a sudden the water splits and they walk into the middle of the Jordan River, and then they call to the people. They're like, hey, come through. And then all the people of Israel come through, this box just being held in the middle, and they get all the way to the other side of the Jordan. Then the priests come back, and they carry the box up, and the water rushes back in. Why is this significant? Here's why. It's because the Ark of the Covenant, or the chest of the covenant, is actually where God's presence resided in the Old Testament. It's where God was with the people. And another, trend, another word or another name for Jesus in the New Testament is this word Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so what this is, what this is a picture of is this, is that Jesus or God with us goes before us, goes before us into the thing that looks absolutely impossible, into the thing that says this is the wrong time, into the thing that says you're not able to do this, into the thing that says you, you're, you're not the one, and it separates that thing so that you can pass through. So Jesus goes before me. Then as I walk through, I need to know that Jesus is also in the middle. 
in the middle of the situation that there's a wall of water on this side and a wall of water on this side. And it looks like at any moment these things could come in and drown me. But yet while I'm in the middle of walking through and it still doesn't make sense, I need to know that Jesus is with me in the middle. And then when I get to the other side, I realize that Jesus is also behind me. Why is this significant? Because Jesus is before you, he's around you, and he's behind you. He's before you so you know you're following the right steps. He's around you to protect you from anything that could harm you. And he's behind you to protect you from enemy enemies that could come up from behind. And so here these people are, no doubt they're probably walking through and they're like, what in the world is going on? Why are they taking this box to the water? Like they're going to drown. Like there's that miracle box. There's that thing that mom and dad talked about all those years. I've never seen it do anything for us. We're still in this wilderness. I thought we were going to some special place. We've been here for 40 years. What's this box going to do now? And I just can't believe what they must have thought as they're walking through. There's waters on either side. And they're just thinking to themselves, man, there's got to be something really special about this box. There's got to be something really special about knowing that Jesus is with me. And then they get to the other side of the river. And here's probably the part that you know. They get to the other side of the Jordan River... And Joshua looks up and he sees the promised land, which is called Jericho. And all around the promised land is these huge walls. I don't know if you've ever been here when you take one step towards what God is calling you to and you feel like you just defeated one giant and then another giant pops up. It's like, come on, man. It's easier to turn around, but you got to keep stepping. And so then the next question becomes, how in the world do we get through a wall? How do we get over this wall? What are we going to do? And most of you know the story, right? You probably heard it in kids' church if you grew up in church where they walked around the wall six times and then seven times on the seventh day and they cheered and they clapped and they blew trumpets and they clapped and they did all these things and then the walls come tumbling down. Woohoo! Awesome story. But what you might not know is what happens in between here at the other side of the Jordan and there when the walls come tumbling down. There's this scene that happens that so many times we just read through. And I want to look at that for a second. Joshua chapter 5. Verses 13 through 15. The team can come up. I'm going to be in the close. It says this. It says, And then this, while Joshua was there near Jericho, he looked up and saw right in front of him a man standing holding his drawn sword. Joshua stepped up to him and said, Whose side are you on, ours or our enemies? And he said, Neither. I'm commander of God's armies. I've just arrived. Joshua fell face to the ground and worshiped. He asked, What orders does my master have for his servant? God's army commander ordered Joshua, take your sandals off of your feet. The place you're standing is holy. See, what's interesting to me is that when Joshua comes here, he's so quick to be like, God, who are you for? Which side are you on? Are you on mine or are you on theirs? (laughs) Isn't that what our country sounds like right now? Is it blue lives matter or is it black lives matter? Are Republicans right or are Democrats right? God, which side are you on? I think we'd be interested or maybe even surprised to know that sometimes maybe God comes into the situation where you're asking, which side are you on? And he comes with an answer you didn't really want to hear. And he says, neither. (laughs) Neither. Maybe neither means both. 
He's so quick to make it us versus them. He's so quick to make it, are you on my side? And I don't know about you, but if you're about to go into a battle that looks impossible and you guys say, God, which side are you on? It's not really that encouraging to hear neither. <laughs> it's like, I want to hear you're on my side. But then God says to him, he says, hey, take off your, your shoes. Take off your sandals. See, maybe this story is way less about the wall that's in front of you. Maybe this story is way less about the barriers that are in front of you and more about the barriers that you've been living in. Maybe before God can take you to where he wants to take you, there's actually something you've been living in. We're so quick to make it external. We're so quick to want miracles, miracles, miracles. And maybe God's way more quicker to say, what, what shoes are you standing in? What are you walking in that you're gonna have to step out of before you can step into where I'm taking you? What have you been carrying with you that you can't take into this next season? Take off the shoes. So I began to think about, man, what are the shoes that Joshua was carrying at this point? And uh, I thought about, he was probably still trying to fill Moses' shoes. He was called to to take Moses' spot. He was probably trying to fill those shoes. Those are pretty big shoes to fill. And he did a good job up to this point, right? Like Moses parted the Red Sea, Joshua parted the Jordan River. Woohoo! But God's like, hey, it's time to step out of those shoes. Because in order to lead these people into the next place, you're going to have to be something that Moses wasn't. Maybe there were shoes that Moses was being called to step out of that he never was able to step out of. And because of that, he was never able to step into the fullness of what God had for him. So I began to think back over Moses' life. And, you know, Moses is this guy who, when he was born, his mom immediately has to abandon him because they were going to kill all the babies that are being born in Egypt at this time that were Jewish. So his mom has to abandon him, has to put him in this basket and send him down the Nile River. And although it wasn't really her fault, I, I can't help but think that Moses probably had some abandonment issues. And maybe, just maybe, his whole life, he never really was able to process that, was never able to really figure that out. And so he spends his whole life saying, I'm never not going to be in control again. So what he does is God calls him to be the person that leads people out of slavery. And he knows that he feels a call in his life, but he tries to do it in his own timing and in his own strength. And what he ends up doing, he kills an Egyptian doesn't work out too well because people find out they start chasing him he runs into hiding 40 years later he meets God at a burning bush and God says hey are you ready to do it my way he says yeah 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 but I'm not talking (laughs) you gotta find somebody else if you want me to talk I'm not gonna talk but I'll do whatever else you want me to do control he wasn't able to fully surrender to God and so God's like okay cool whatever I'll find this guy Aaron and he'll speak for you and so then they go through the Red Sea manna falls from heaven awesome stuff and then there's this time where people are complaining because there's no water and God comes to Moses again he says hey I want you to speak to this rock Moses doesn't like that (laughs) so it's gonna it's weird people are gonna make fun of me I'm not really gonna do that and so what he does is he takes his staff and smacks the rock because God's faithful water still comes out of the rock. But what God says is, because you've done this, you're not going into the promised land. Because you couldn't let go of control. 
because you couldn't step out of the shoes of needing to be in control and step into the act of trusting God, you're not going into the promised land. And so here's Joshua and God saying, hey, I need you to step out of the shoes that you've been living in. I need you to step out of trying to be Moses. I need you to step out of your insecurities. I wonder what the shoes are in your life that God is calling you to step out of tonight. See, I got a confession to make. Um, these actually aren't my shoes. <laughs> They're James Spellman's. And um, my shoes are right here. And I think what God is calling us to do tonight is to step out of the things that we've been living in, that we know the Holy Spirit's calling us to step out of and take those shoes, put them in the box, put them in God's presence. God's presence is greater than your insecurities. His presence is greater than your need for control. His presence is greater than the sin that you keep going back to. His presence is greater than the toxic mindsets that you keep living in. It's time to step out of those shoes. Step back into who God has called you to be. And begin to follow after God again. Because here's the thing is the walls aren't going to come down by smacking it with a stick. They're not going to come down by taking a bulldozer to it. They're not going to come down by climbing over and throwing a grapple over or whatever. They're going to come down by simply taking a step, taking another step, and taking another step. And so here's my one point tonight is this, is just keep stepping. Continue to take the next bold step and the next bold step and the next bold step. And pretty soon when you look back over the course of your life in the next six months and the next year, all you're going to be able to say is only God could do this. Only God could do this. I love this verse in the New Testament. I promise I'm closing. I close like five times, so bear with me. There's this verse and it says this. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry good news. <laughs> and so many times when I heard this verse or read this verse, I was kind of like, that's such a weird thing. Like, are, pre- are like pastor's feet like prettier than other people's feet? Like, I don't know. Like, what does that mean? And I think what it's actually trying to say is that beautiful are the feet of the people that carry good news because the steps that they're taking, they're always stepping into something greater than what they're stepping out of. See, that's the whole gospel. The gospel is all about stepping out of sin and stepping into the righteousness that Christ gives you. It's all about stepping out of depression and into a joy that makes no sense, into a peace that makes no sense, stepping out of the toxicity, stepping into healing from Jesus. It's all about stepping out of something and stepping into something even greater. How beautiful are the feet of those who carry good news. And I don't know about you, but I'm so grateful tonight that we have a Holy Spirit who guides us and course corrects us. Even when we make the wrong step, because you are, you're gonna make the wrong step. You're gonna take wrong steps. You're gonna go the wrong direction, but we have a Holy Spirit and we have this Jesus person who's full of grace, who picks us up every time. So you don't need to be afraid or discouraged or sad tonight if all you've been taking up to this point in your life is bad step after bad step or wrong step after wrong step. 
If you've been ignoring the voice of the Holy Spirit for a long time, you don't need to be discouraged. Actually be encouraged because the Holy Spirit is so good at course correcting. You don't need to worry about it. You just fall back into the arms of grace. He puts you back on the right path again. Kind of like my, bro- my brother and my dad. Even if you've been taking the wrong step, even if you did the thing that, that you weren't supposed to, even if you didn't listen to the voice that was telling you to do something that didn't make sense, God holds you up puts you back on the path of your purpose. You close your eyes. I have two questions tonight. First question is this. Maybe you came into the room tonight and if you and me were to grab dinner after this and hang out and us to ask you questions, say, hey, is Jesus the Lord of your life? And you'd say, no, I want to give an opportunity to just be in relationship with God. Truth is, you're never going to be able to step into these things that we talked about tonight, you're never gonna be able to fully step out of the things that are holding you back in life until you're able to step into a relationship with Jesus. He's the one who gives peace that passes understanding. Peace can be temporary and circumstantial, but if you're in this place and you're like, man, COVID has been crazy and everything is crazy, I really just want a peace that doesn't make sense. God offers that. And so if you're in the room tonight and you say, hey, I want to be in this relationship with Jesus, or maybe you've been walking away for a long time, this is your first time back, and you're like, hey, I just want to have that course correction tonight. I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up on the count of three and put it back down. I just want to know who we're praying for tonight. One, two, three, hands across the room. If that's you, awesome, awesome. Yep, cool. You can put them down. Second question tonight is this, is as I've been speaking, you've heard the Holy Spirit saying, hey, this is what I'm actually calling you to step out of. And it's scary. (laughs) It's scary because it's comfortable. It's scary because it's easier to stay in the way you've been living and the way you've been walking. But tonight you say, hey, I want to step out of some things that I know aren't good for me anymore and step into the goodness of God. If that's you, you can put your hand up. Yeah, me too. Me too. Cool. Well, hey, let's pray this prayer all together. You can repeat this after me, whether or not you raised your hand to give your life to Christ. We're all sinners. So say this after me. Say, dear Jesus, today I choose to give you my life for the rest of my life. Come and save me. Have a relationship with me. Lead me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, hey, we're going to go back into this song, The Champions. And here's what I want you to do is as we sing this song, it talks about how the giants are falling down. It talks about how the walls are falling down. Here's what, here's what following Jesus is. After they walked around the walls, they worshiped. Here's what taking the next step sometimes is, is simply just worshiping and saying, God, I don't know how to do this anymore. I don't know how to do this. I don't think I have the strength to do it, but come alongside of me, fill me with your Holy Spirit, fill me with your grace. Give me a wind at my back so I can follow you into these next steps. So come on, if you wanna get up on your feet, we're gonna get into worship and ask God to come and give us the strength that we need to keep taking steps forward, to keep walking into his purpose. Let's sing this out.